Welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Luke. The Listener's Commentary is a crowd-funded Bible teaching project. And the reason it's that is because we believe everybody should have access to the life-giving message of God's Word. And so we're giving it away for free, but the reality is it costs. And, and that cost is covered by the generosity of people who believe in this ministry and this mission. So thanks a ton to each of you who support the ministry of the Listener's Commentary. You're making it available to people all around the world who are using it to grow in their faith and to help other people grow in faith as well. So thanks a ton if you are a supporter of this ministry. If you want to support the show, there's a link down in the notes below where you can uh, you can give and you can set up a monthly donation. You can give a one-time donation as well to the listener's commentary. In this recording, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. And it's really like part one of a two-part section that goes all, all the way down to uh, Luke 14:24, but we're breaking that into two chunks just for the sake of space. So let's just set the context for this, really, this whole little section here. And in some ways, this section continues some of the themes of the preceding sections. It continues the theme of doing good on the Sabbath, uh, the theme of unexpected people at a banquet. Uh, in fact, the second half of the chapter We'll once again discuss the great banquet that we saw just in chapter 13, that great banquet of the age to come, and show that the guests, once again, will be those that you wouldn't expect. And so we're still exploring, really, what the kingdom of God is like and who is included in it. That is the question, as was asked in the previous section in chapter 13, who's going to be saved? Who's going to be a part of that final kingdom? And Jesus is working to subvert the cultural understandings of that that were present in his day. So in Luke 14, 1 through 24, this big section that we're taking in two parts, the idea of invite or invitation is central. Well, the reason for that is because Jesus has been invited to a dinner party, and so he's playing off of his immediate situation. And Luke is playing off that immediate situation as well. In fact, Luke appears to have arranged the story so that chapter 14, 1 through 24 continues to explore who will be saved and who should be invited into salvation. And two themes here really emerge. One is the need for humility. And the other is the danger of self-satisfied complacency. You get both those themes emerging here. And one other note of importance by way of introduction is this, is that we tend to separate the spiritual and the material much too heavily, but not Jesus. His kingdom is down to earth. And so for Jesus, what you do at a dinner party, like the one he's invited to, says something about what you believe about the great dinner party the, the kingdom of God dinner party. And that's the reason um, 14, 1 through 14 and 14, 15 through 25 go together because Jesus is indeed at a dinner party and he's going to say things that sound like he's talking about just a dinner party, but it becomes very clear in 15 through 24 that what he's saying about a dinner party is also about the great dinner party. Those two things really go together. So let's jump in and look at the details of Luke 14, 1 through 14. 
it happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. So this verse really sets the the stage for the next 23 verses of chapter 14. We're at a Pharisee's house, uh, not just a Pharisee's house, but a leader of the Pharisees. So this is a prominent Pharisee, a prominent religious teacher. We're at his house, and it's the Sabbath. It is the day of worship, the Sabbath day, Saturday in our language, but it's the Sabbath day, and he goes there to eat a meal, and they're kind of watching him closely. They, they don't trust him. They're kind of spying on him. They're kind of just suspicious of him. So they're keeping a close eye on him, wondering what he's going to do. All right. So that's the setting for the next 23 verses. Verse 2 says, And there in front of him was a man suffering from edema. We're not sure why this man was here. Was he an invited guest? Was he just an observer? The latter seems more likely to me. Uh, because when Jesus heals him, he sends him home. But we don't really know. So it was common, though, for observers to be present at these kind of feasts, these kinds of meals. And so my suspicion is he's an observer, and he has edema. Edema is a medical condition that causes swelling in particularly like around the ankles and the arms and the hands, right? Um, and so this man has edema. He's He's got massive swelling around his ankles, his feet, his arms, his hands, that sort of thing. And just like in the last case where Jesus healed on the Sabbath, um, so too here. Jesus initiates this healing, but he does so with a question first, kind of to set it up. This is what he says, verse 3, And Jesus responded and said to the lawyers and the Pharisees, those that he's gathered with at this feast, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. They won't answer. And the reason they won't answer is most likely because they know where this is going. They know the question is a setup, uh, and it's probably not going to end well for them. So they keep silent. Jesus took hold of the, the man with edema, took hold of him, and healed him, and sent him away. So he heals this man, and then sends him on his way. Uh, and then he said to them, them being the Pharisees and the scribes who are sitting around with him at the feast. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? They wouldn't answer because they know the answer, right? Like if their son fell into a well on the Sabbath, they would rescue him. If their ox that they needed for plowing their field fell into uh, a well, they would rescue him. In other words, Jesus' question is targeting really the heart of the issue. When it's someone valuable to you or when it's something valuable to you, guess what? You make no issue of doing good on the Sabbath. You don't make any issue of helping your son or helping out an animal that's important to you on the Sabbath. So why not this person? Why not another human being who needed help? Why wouldn't you help him if you could by healing on the Sabbath? Doing good for a person on the Sabbath doesn't violate the Sabbath. That's the point. And healing somebody is doing good for them on the Sabbath. And so Jesus targets their fundamental misunderstanding and really kind of their self-serving approach to Sabbath keeping. Now, Jesus continues talking in 
uh, Luke 14, and it sounds like he's giving generic advice for attending dinner parties. Don't take the seat of honor. Take the lower seats. Then your host can promote you and you can be honored in front of everybody. It, it sounds like generic advice for how to go to a dinner party, except Luke tells us it's a parable playing off of the situation at the dinner party that Jesus is at. And Jesus has seen people jostling for prestige and honor. And so he's going to take that situation and give what sounds like generic advice, but it's a parable. In other words, it's a lesson about self-promotion and God's kingdom. Here's the way it reads, verse 7. Now he began telling a parable. That is a story with a spiritual point here, a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. So he's seen all these people trying to get the best seats and make sure they're sitting next to this person. And, ooh, I want to be here. That'll make me look good if I sit here. I want to be seen with this guy. So he's noticed all of this jostling for prestige and honor. And he takes the opportunity to tell a parable uh, about the kingdom of God. Verse 8, saying to them, whenever you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, and a wedding feast was a common imagery for uh, the great banquet at the end of time, right, where history is all going to culminate. So whenever you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him, and the one who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then in disgrace, you will proceed to be moved to the last place. But whenever you're invited, go and take the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up higher, and then you will have honor in the sight of all who are dining at the table with you. This really plays off of the specific situation that Jesus is in, right? He's seen these people jostling for prestige and honor. And that was just the way dinner parties worked in Jesus' day. In fact, it was almost it was almost kind of pre-planned formality. The higher one's rank in society was, the closer someone sat to the host. That's the way it worked. Um, there's even writings from the time period that offer instructions on how to arrange guests according to their social importance. So this person sits here, and then next goes this person, and so on. And so this was a very structured and formalized way dinner parties worked. Now, we've minimized, at least in Western culture today, we've min minimized some of the formality of all of that, but I think it still persists informally. Like, imagine a dinner party for a number of important businessmen and businesswomen. Um, and what you experience at that kind of dinner party for these people, you know, from various businesses with a lot of kind of power and prestige is you oftentimes experience people trying to upstage others in who they sit with or who they spend the evening talking to, who they're seen with, right? Getting photo opportunities with the right people because that'll give them more street cred, it'll give them more honor and, and notoriety if they're seen with this person and can spend time talking to that person and, and making a connection with this person, right? So you show up to such a party early so that you can get a good seat. You arrive, you kind of notice how the seats are arranged, and maybe even towards the head table, you want to be close there. If you could snag a seat at the head table, man, that would be awesome. Um, that's how, how it works. Even in our day and age, and the host arrives, he's working the room, he makes his way to the front, 
everyone heads to their seats, you want to be in a good seat next to the right people. Well, that's really the parable that Jesus is working off of. In their society, it was very structured, very formalized. Uh, in our society, oftentimes it's a little more informal, but the same motive still applies. So here's the point of the parable. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In other words, this parable is making a point about the kingdom of God, and here's what it's saying, that the kingdom of God works on the principle of self-lowering, not self-promoting. As uh, the apostles James and Peter both say in their letters later, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That is, those who lower themselves, they're, they're in with God, and God gives grace to them. Those who exalt themselves, those who promote themselves, well, God's opposed to that. That's just not the way his kingdom works. And so, in keeping with the practice of self-lowering, Jesus now does seem to give some advice about hosting dinner parties, but again, it's parabolic in the sense that it teaches a lesson about God's values, about what really matters within God's kingdom. Since God's kingdom works on the basis of self-lowering, since God identifies with the lowly and the humble and the meek, right? That's the way his kingdom works. Um, here's some things you have to think about when you're, when you're you know, having dinner parties. When you're arranging dinner parties, God's kingdom works on not promoting yourself so that you can hobnob with the high and the mighty and the honorable. Um, it actually works on the principle of let's identify with the weak and the lowly. And so Jesus offers some advice in verses 12 through 14 that subverts the standard operating procedures of the world. Here's what he says. Now, he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, to the one who invited him to the dinner party he's at, whenever you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor wealthy neighbors. Otherwise, they may invite you back to a meal in return, and then that would be your repayment. So just a couple things to clarify. It's not like you can never have a dinner party with your friends or your family or people like that, right? He says, do not invite, and it's actually in the present tense in Greek, which means regularly, continually. In other words, let's just be done with this whole practice of only having dinner parties to make ourselves look good, um, and then going to dinner parties to make ourselves look good. Can we just be done with that? That's the idea. Let's not make that our regular, continual practice. Everyone knew how these banquets went. Like ate with like. That's the way it worked in their world. Oftentimes, it's the way it works in our world. The powerful and important invite the powerful and important. The aim is to smooth with the influential, important, powerful people. You want to be well-connected and stay well-connected. You want to be seen as important with other people, and you do all this for your own advantage. In fact, the Roman writer Plutarch talks about eating together, how there's friend-making power around the table. Like when you can be invited to a banquet, ah, you can make friends. And the whole point of friendship in the Greco-Roman world was you make friends so that you can get things from friends. There's this reciprocity to it, right? So that you can, uh, you can gain things. Who you invited to a formal banquet, um, the whole goal was to provide some net gain to your honor, to your status, or to your influence. That's the way it worked then. It's really the way it works now. Um, but the purposes and goals of God's kingdom, of Jesus' kingdom, are different. And so let's not 
continue that practice. Let's not make that the way we go about doing dinner parties. He says in verse 13, whenever you give a banquet, invite people who are poor, who have disabilities, who are limping, people who are blind, and you will be blessed. Like have banquets for those people. Why? Because they matter to God. They're important to him. So you will be blessed since they don't have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is intentionally subverting the way banquets worked in his day. And really what he's doing is calling them back to God's values that are seen in their law. The the book of Deuteronomy refers to eating in the presence of the Lord with the lowly, those who have nothing to pay you back, with slaves and servants, widows and orphans, with foreigners who are among them and with the Levites who don't have any land or property of their own. Eat in God's presence, the book of Deuteronomy says, with people like that, right? Look to be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, not in the here and now. And once again, we're back to self-lowering and self-giving are the operating standards of Jesus' kingdom not self-promoting, not self-getting. And so this whole section revolves around this idea of self-lowering, self-giving. Don't practice self-exaltation. Don't just have dinner parties for people who can pay you back, pat you on the back, increase your status in your honor. What's driving you? And that's the question, really, I think, as we reflect on this section, we need to reflect on what drives you. Is it self-lowering? Is it taking care of the needy or is it gaining honor, gaining status? Is it networking to gain power? Do you always have an agenda for your parties, for your relationships? Or do you just want to care for people who could never pay you back and who have legitimate needs? What really drives you? Uh, As Jesus said in the middle of this whole thing, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled. God is opposed to the proud, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You humble yourself before God, and God will lift you up.